Welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our stories are connected to one another and rooted in God's radical love for diverse creation. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. This week's episode is called Between and Beyond. We've talked about the LGBTQ and A and how each sexual orientation is made in God's image. We've talked about gender expression and the importance of authentic expression, whether that is gender nonconforming or gender conforming. And now today we are celebrating gender identity and growing in our understanding of this. We're going to fill in the T and the I in our alphabet rainbow. I'm excited to welcome Pastor Emily Ewing to All Places Together. Emily uses pronouns like they and them. They graduated from Luther College and the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Emily cultivates the blog Querying.org, which focuses on questioning and queering the lectionary each week. They also co-host an awesome lectionary-based podcast called Nerds at Church. Highly recommend if you're a lectionary preacher or just interested in learning more about the Bible. They also co-host its sister podcast, Horror Nerds at Church, for their vampire season. In their spare time, Emily is working with colleagues and friends on diaconia.faith, a collective which seeks to deepen progressive theological exploration foster creative spiritual engagement, and integrate faith with a world in need of justice. Goodness, that is all such important work. Thank you for being with us here today at All Places Together, Emily. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here too. Let's just jump right in with some definitions. Gender identity refers to a person's innate, deeply felt psychological identification as a man, woman, another gender, or no gender, which may or may not correspond to the sex assigned to them at birth. Several common gender identities include woman, man, non-binary, and genderqueer. Words that talk about the relationship between our gender and sex assigned at birth are cisgender and transgender. The spectrum of sexes includes female, intersex, and male. Emily, my guess is that many of our listeners have heard these words before, but may or may not be clear on their meaning, application, like connections, and intersections. So will you help us dig a little bit deeper by helping us define like what biological sex is? Yeah, so when we are talking about sex, it is usually what we're talking about is what the sex that is assigned at birth based on genitalia present in the baby. So it's when the doctor says, it's a whatever it might be. When we're talking about biological sex, genitalia is one of the ways that we can identify it. Um, Another way that people kind of categorize sex is with the reproductive organs that are or are not present in a person the chromosomes, and the hormones. So there's like four different ways that can all impact how someone is classified in terms of sex. And it's interesting 
that like most of those aren't things that you can necessarily see when a child is born. A lot of that's on the inside. Yes. Mostly, we, a lot of people don't even know, technically, what their chromosomes are, what their hormone levels are. Some people go a long time in their life before finding out about certain reproductive organs that may or may not be in their body. Um, And because sex assigned at birth is assigned based almost exclusively on genitalia, most people are assigned male or female as like their two options. But there are also people who are naturally born with characteristics of both both sexes or ambiguous characteristics. Um, And that could be hormonal balances connected to one and chromosomes of another, that sort of a thing. It, and these people are called intersex. It's kind of an overarching team term, and it's about as common as a redhead. So oh, if you think about how many redheads are in your life. Like a decent amount of redheads. Right. And so there's about that many intersex people also probably in your life. Um, but the variations come in ways that, like, not everybody knows. So it can be a combination of tissues. So you could have both ovarian and testicular tissues. Um, it could be, in terms of chromosomes, it could be instead of XX or XY chromosomes, you could have XXY or XO. And then others could have a combination of genitalia and reproductive organs. A lot of the time, it boils down to the doctor having trouble deciding if the genitalia is a penis or not. So there's like a size that like if it's this big or larger, it's a penis. If it's this small, this big or smaller, it's a clitoris. And then there's an in-between area where doctors don't really know what to do. I didn't know about that before. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's like sometimes there are charts, some, but mostly it's just like, A doctor eyeballs it and decides. The vast majority of the time, it's not a medical problem. Like, their urinary tract is not blocked, anything like that. It's just a reality. Occasionally, there is a need for surgery for the health of the baby. But the vast majority of the case, it is highly discouraged from people, from adults in the intersex community. Any sort of medical intervention is highly discouraged unless it is ex- like explicitly needed for the functioning of for bodily functions. Because some people are some people might want surgery later in their life, and some people might not. And when you do it as a baby, there's no opportunity for consent or for the person to develop their identity, develop who they understand themselves to be, and to move from that space into into having an identity and having a body that fits with who they understand themselves to be. Holding off, if possible, is the best option. There's a lot more possibilities for holding that space. But definitely the default is if you're looking for information, whether you're a parent, someone who thinks they might be intersex, someone who just wants to learn more, there are lots of resources by intersex people and organizations that are led by intersex people that are great for you to look 
at that sort of a thing on. Exactly. And so some words that help us then understand the relationship between sex assigned at birth and gender are cisgender and transgender. So cisgender means that the sex assigned at birth and the gender identity align. So this would be someone assigned female at birth who identifies as a woman, someone assigned male at birth who identifies as a man. Those folks would be cisgender. And cisgender can be shortened to cis. So you might hear it a lot in like cishet as a shorthand for someone who identifies as cisgender and heterosexual. Transgender describes someone who doesn't identify as the sex assigned at birth. And there's a variety kind of examples with that. So we're just going to kind of work on expanding that definition (laughs) here for a few minutes. Um, But transgender can also be shortened to trans. Now, before we go too much farther with expanding this, I think it's probably important to talk about how to use transgender as a word? What part of speech? How do we use this in a sentence? Help us, Emily. Yeah, so transgender is an adjective. And part of this is just the natural evolution of language, that language is always evolving. And so the things that were appropriate at one time may not be appropriate now. Things that weren't appropriate at one time may be appropriate now. And transgender is one of those words that has kind of grown into itself, I like to say. Oh, I love that. So it's an adjective, not a noun. So if you are talking about someone who is trans or transgender, you say, they are a transgender person or a trans person. You would not say they are a transgender or a transgendered, right? Those are, those are just wrong. It's just not good grammar. Yep. And there's, there's a lot of language that changes, and we learn new rules for it. And because we're recognizing that transgender is an adjective, that's where the phrases like trans men are men and trans women are women come from, that it is a type of man, right? Like a transgender man, a trans man is a type of man, and a transgender woman is a type of woman, just like A cisgender man is a type of man, and a cisgender woman is a type of woman. And for those of us who identify as non-binary, the the phrase that frequently is paired with that is like, and non-binary people are valid. And it's like, okay, I get the sentiment behind that. That's not as helpful as non-binary people are people. There's a sense that there's like this extra work that has to be done to validate non-binary people. And there is a lot that happens that invalidates our existence. But as a non-binary person, the thing that is invalidating is when people dehumanize, Mm. right? And Mm -hmm. so when, when we are trying to affirm the humanity of people by saying that a trans man is a man and a trans woman is a woman, saying non-binary people are people, Right? Because you can also say a trans man is a person. A trans woman is a person. All of those things are true. Um, all of us are humans. Yes. So I think let's keep on digging into some additional gender identities as well. You've already started kind of talking about non-binary. Like, would you help explain that some more? Mm-hmm. So 
Non-binary is an adjective, just like transgender is an adjective, and it describes a person who does not identify as a man or a woman. So non-binary people could be, could identify as both a man and a woman, could identify somewhere between man and woman, or could identify completely outside of those categories. Um, and many non-binary people also identify as transgender. That's how I identify. I identify as non-binary, transgender, and agender. They all fit as words to describe me. But not all non-binary people do. Some non-binary people identify as non-binary and not trans. And that's obviously fine because that's how they identify. I'm glad you made that explicitly clear because I think that's one thing in all of my learning that I haven't been able to, like, in my Googling, like, get a clear um, vision on just to be able to understand that. So thank you for that in particular. Yeah. A lot of these words, as is very common in the queer community, are resistant toward boxes and concrete definitions. So there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of People identify how they identify, and if that's how you identify, that's how you identify, and we're going to celebrate that. Uh, but not less and less so, this is the exact definition, and if you don't fit within that box, too bad. That's not, that's not what we do in this community when we do our best. So, um, some, so the other piece of that is that similar to trans or transgender, Non-binary can be an umbrella term, which encompasses multiple identities, which makes sense if we're talking about kind of the different ways that people identify as non-binary. So some of those encompassed identities are agender, so that's somebody without gender, bigender, someone who identifies with two genders. There's this beautiful comic that I love to reference that has kind of a breakdown of how we graph gender. And it, the, top, the top panel has like a line between male and female, and it marks non-binary as like everything in between. And the person, the little character says, I see a lot of people use spectrum graphs like these to describe non-binary gender. I think they had me mixed up for a while. The implication here seems to be, if you don't feel female, it must be because you feel more male or vice versa. And then the person says, but I don't, but I don't. If I fit anywhere on a graph like this, I think it's down here. And it's just like a dot that is completely apart from the line of male to female. Mm. And then the final panel is the one that I love because it's, it's basically like a universe model or a galaxy's model of gender. Um, and so it says, maybe it's better to think of gender as a galaxy. Most people tend to orbit a gravitational center, but not everyone does. And orbits can change, centers can change, and there's no reason to assume there's only two centers. So there could be a galaxy that is man, and a galaxy that is woman, and a galaxy that is agender, and a galaxy that is bigender, and a galaxy that is demiboy. Right, that there are so many different options. A galaxy that's gender queer, a galaxy that's gender fluid. There could be people who move from one galaxy to another in their lifetime. But that it's not just this linear, there are two options or the in-between option. It's, there are lots of options. Two of them are more commonly used. 
but those are not the only two. The expansiveness of that image is so powerful because, I mean, I've seen some version of that spectrum a lot. I think, you know, there's versions of that also that will sometimes be used to parallel to like try to explain cisgender and transgender in like a visual type of way. But it you're right, like it locks it into this binary and makes it feel like percentages or that. Um, Mm -hmm. to add like another metaphor, like it's like a pie chart or like percentage, like, oh, you're 40% female and 60% (laughs) male. And it's like, no, I'm cake. Like I'm not a pie. I don't know. Like (laughs) it's like too many metaphors going at once. And, and as someone like I've grown a lot in my understanding of this, you know, over the past decade and throughout my life. And I think when I was younger, I felt a lot of stress around wanting to understand people well and that kind of manifested and like wanting to know the boxes that everybody fit in Mm -hmm. so that I could Mm -hmm. be respectful and appropriate. And if I just knew the boxes and and could figure out their pie chart or their spectrum, like (laughs) that, that was, that that was what was kind or hospitable and it turns out that's just really not the case, right? That these that any type of box or spectrum ultimately isn't the most helpful thing and that getting to know each individual and trying to just be a kind person in life and like fostering good relationship and being open and if and when that person is ready to disclose something to me, you know, to be able to understand how they identify, like, that's actually, like, a a healthier or more authentic way um, to be in relationship. Mm -hmm. And then I think, I think a lot about, like, needing to cool my jets. Like, I just need to, like, calm (laughs) down a little bit. (laughs) And there will always be more words to describe people than we could ever cover in a podcast, because that's the nature of language. But a couple more that are particularly helpful and important to know are genderqueer and gender fluid. So genderqueer and gender fluid people typically reject notions of static categories of gender and embrace a fluidity of gender identity and often, though not always, sexual orientation. So people who identify as genderqueer or gender fluid might understand themselves to be both a man and a woman or both male and female or sometimes one gender and sometimes another, or neither male nor female, kind of falling completely outside these categories. It depends. Gender queer and gender fluid are not necessarily the same things, but there's a lot of similarities in how people who identify with those words identify. The gender fluid part really implies that there's, and this is not for everyone, who identifies as gender fluid, but for a lot of gender fluid people, it's there's a flow that sometimes, and it might be connected to their gender expression, where sometimes their gender expression and their gender identity are more like one thing, and sometimes it's more like another, or sometimes it's not like anything. And gender queer, there's a sense of resisting the boxes, um, and that might be a more consistent thing, or more consistently resistant. So more consistently not fitting the box 
whether that's wearing a skirt and a bow tie, for example, or something complete, like that's a simple example, but something like that where it could be that you're combining a bunch of things that have particular gender markers. It could be that you're trying to avoid all gender markers. It could be that you're using, you're dressing without concern for gender markers. And so it comes out however your body feels that given day. I think those are helpful nuances. And I think, right, the reminder to to trust the person who is sharing with you or like identifying in a certain way, like to trust what mm-hmm. word they're saying represents themselves best. And from the outside, it's okay if you don't like always understand, like you can always learn more. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that someone else needs to change their gender identity or their gender expression just because someone on the outside doesn't get it. Mm-hmm. And there, you don't have to understand to respect. Yes, or right? to be kind. You don't have to understand the, the nuances of my gender identity in order to use they, them pronouns for me. Accurate. You can just use they, them pronouns for me. And then agender, we kind of talked about briefly, but it is a person without gender. So a person who identifies with this term often will consider themselves as either having a type of non-binary gender identity or as just not subscribing to any gender identity at all. And that varies kind of person to person and how people understand non-binary and how people understand agender and transgender. So sometimes agender people will identify as transgender and sometimes they won't, similar to non-binary. Sometimes they'll identify as non-binary and sometimes they won't. just depends on how they feel. And then you touched on it again in what something you were just saying a few moments ago, but we've got to talk about pronouns. So the most common ones that folks I think will be the most familiar with are she, he, and they. And then, of course, all of the different ways you might use those, you know, if it's possessive or whatever. Um, And then another uh, one that's growing in popularity is Z. That starts with a Z. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other ones that are also growing in popularity that have come onto your radar? There are a lot of different ones. There's basically always new pronouns coming up. And they're sometimes called neo-pronouns. Neo is just a prefix that means new. Oh, nice. But, so Z is one. Fay, fair fane is one. And Z has like a couple different ways that you can decline it. So you can do the like possessive and the different uses of it. Um, I know somebody who sometimes uses their name is Pace. And so they use their name as a pronoun. There are some people who don't use any pronouns. And there are some people who use more than one pronoun. It could be she and they, he and they, they and Z, or it could be that they want to use any pronoun. So when you're doing in- pronoun introductions, take some time to actually think about what your pronouns should be. And if you haven't thought about them, then I would still say tell people to use the ones that you most frequently hear used about yourself because there's a good chance there's a set of pronouns that you frequently use that are frequently used for you. Is Pronoun introductions and those sorts of things do get complicated because there are people who use pronouns 
in one situation and different pronouns in another. A lot of that has to do with safety or not being out in every setting, those sorts of things. So if someone doesn't share their pronouns in a, pro in a setting where we're all sharing our pronouns, I generally don't push them on it because I don't know their story. I don't know what anxiety they might have about pronouns. I don't know where they're at on their journey. So I, at that point, then, just don't use pronouns for the person, right? You can mm -hmm. use their name. And that is a perfectly reasonable and respectful thing to do when you don't know someone's pronouns. Okay. So I feel like the follow-up question to that is then... <laughs> What happens when I mess it up? Because, I mean, I do. Like, even with people that mm -hmm. I know use other pronouns, like, I, I mess it up, and what do, what do I do? <laughs> mm -hmm. And I mess it up, too. Everybody messes up. Part of it is we're retraining our brains because our brains from birth have been trained that there are only two appropriate pronouns for people who we know. And so we're retraining them to add Ah, there are more than two options. Here are all the options of pronouns. The most important thing is to, so if you are corrected or if you realize you messed up, to stop what you are saying, to apologize, and to start the sentence over with the correct pronoun, right? So if I am talking about you and I say, yes, he's hosting a podcast. Oh. I'm sorry, she. She's hosting a podcast. And then keep going. So it doesn't need to be like some big self-flagellation extended no. apology. In Just fact, please do not. Okay, please when do not. When you do the big extended apologies, what you're actually doing is requiring more emotional labor from the person who you've already harmed mm. because then they have to make you feel better. Yeah, I'm not actually, like, increasing the amount of apology or, like, showing that I'm more sincere in my apology. Yeah, it would be making the other person have to comfort me in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So, and there are ways that you can practice pronouns, right? There are some people who just, like, try to avoid pronouns, and that's okay, but ultimately that is not going to help you get the pronouns right. What mm -hmm. I tend to suggest to people is, to intentionally talk about a person with the right pronouns. So that could be if you are a praying person and if you're in a relationship with somebody and, you're, and they're okay with you pr praying for them, I have people write out a three-sentence prayer, right? Mm -hmm. So the first sentence uses their name and then the next two use the correct pronouns. And then every day you see that prayer, you pray it out loud for them and you're not only praying for them, but also practicing their pronouns. I also know people who have intentionally taken time to talk about me when I'm not there. So like when they're brushing their teeth in the morning or something, they'll talk, they would talk about me using my pronouns and help correct each other because part of one of the best ways for us as humans to learn something is to teach it. So if we're helping correct each other, then we're both teaching and learning at the same time, which is really helpful. That is a very effective way to learn. 
Emily, thank you for helping us think through like all of these very practical um, definitions and understandings and help us navigate well in in the waters of gender identity. And I think the celebration aspect has been present throughout this conversation. But with all of our God's boundless diversity questions I, or conversations, I always like to bring it back at the end into God's word, into scripture, that we are Christian and that we celebrate that this is how God has created the world. So I wonder mm-hmm. if you might share a Bible passage that's been important for you in your life as you've grown up and come to understand your gender identity and just being a person of faith in the world. One of my favorite Bible passages is actually Psalm 139. And it is a trick it is a complicated Bible passage. The end of it is not my favorite. There's some praying to God for violence that is not ideal. And also, if I have an impulse towards violence, it's better to pray to God who I'm confident will not follow that impulse than to enact that impulse. Yeah, the Bible's complicated. It's not always straightforward. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the piece that I love about Psalm 139 is that it is very clear about God's intimate knowledge of us, right? Mm -hmm. I knit you together in your parents' womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I am behind and before and all of that. And it is this beautiful passage that also is sometimes used really harmfully, particularly against transgender people. But my favorite question when somebody's like, yes, but how can you be transgender? How can you want to change your body if God made you this way. And so the question then becomes, okay, then you tell me as a cisgender person, at what point did God say, okay, I'm done making you? Mm. I hope never, right? Right? Because there's this idea that like at some point that, that God's the only one involved in creating us. But the beauty of this is God creates us, yes. And once we are born, we get to co-create with God how we bear the divine image, how we reflect God's love to the world. And in doing that, we get to live into our truest selves. Mm -hmm. And so as a transgender person, as a non-binary person, as an agender person, I get to co-create with God who I am and how God loves me and how I bear God's image by the things that I do in my body and to my body, just like everybody else gets to. So I I just love that space of we are co-creating with God who we are. We all are. And what a gift it is. Mm -hmm. And what a gift that it starts with, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in all of the creating and co-creating. I love the inclusiveness and the expansiveness of that. And as you've said, like the invitation into God's holy work. And then I imagine as well, while, goodness, very few of the words that we talked about for definitions today, many of those words wouldn't have been around at the time when the Bible was written. Mm -hmm. There were still people who identified 
or were born as intersex, like back then, like this isn't Mm -hmm. an entirely new thing. So which means that there are stories in the Bible about people who have different gender identities or different gender expressions. And I just wonder like if there's a few of those in particular, some examples that are important to you or that you like to point to. Sure. There are a whole bunch. It is true that in pretty much every indigenous culture, there are more than two genders, right? This idea of a gender binary is very much a white Western culture thing. It's not actually indigenous to many places. Even many European indigenous communities uh, have more than two genders. And that's true about the Bible. And um, and Rabbi Danya Rutenberg has a wonderful Twitter thread that talks about the many genders in Judaism and biblically. But one of my favorites is actually Genesis 1, the first creation account, where we hear that God creates humanity, male and female, they create them. And a lot of us read that as, these are the two genders and that is all that God has created. But there is a Hebrew poetry technique called a merism, which is where you name two ends to include everything in between. Mm. So, for example, when we have a God who is the Alpha and the Omega, what that really means is that the God is that this God is the Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, all the way through to Omega. The beginning and the end doesn't exclude the middle, it includes the middle. And so when I, when I usually am doing a Genesis 1 translation, I will say God created them male and female between and beyond mm, because that gives us a beyond. sense of what was originally, right, the original merism that doesn't get conveyed because we don't have merisms as common literary techniques today. And so it still gives that sense of what was intended in that. And the between and beyond just connects so Mm -hmm. well to like that comic we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. that it's like, it's not just a spectrum, like the galaxies and beyond. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And another one that's actually coming up for people who follow the revised common lectionary is in Luke chapter 22. Jesus sends the disciples to get ready for Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread and says, go into town and you will find a man carrying a jar of water. And in that time period, women were the ones who carried water, who drew water from the well, right? That's where we get the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. And we have talked about that one here. So if you've listened, you don't have to have listened to every All Places Together episode, but if you have, this should be familiar. Yep. And so to just that casual mention that there is a man drawing water is a casual occurrence of someone who is gender nonconforming in scripture. There's also others Right there's Joseph and the pretty princess dress. There's mm-hmm. the Ethiopian eunuch. There's the blessing for eunuchs in Isaiah. Uni- using eunuchs as the only example is problematic because there's not a lot of consent in that 
necessarily of becoming a eunuch, but it is an example. And so there's just so many different ways, right? When Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening, that is the role for the disciples. That is the role for men to sit and be the learners in the community. Emily, I just thank you so much for being with us today. And how I love how this conversation has been very rooted in, in yes, like the present words that we're using today with so much grace that these words are going to change over time and to encourage us to keep learning. And then as ever, like that route back to the beginning about who God is from the beginning of time, that this conversation has been so beautiful and has taught me so much. And I'm very excited for it to be shared with the world. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This has been a really great opportunity and a great conversation to have. And Emily, if there's folks who want to be able to follow your work in other places, what are some ways that folks can connect with you? Sure. I am somewhat findable on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at Rev underscore Ewing, but you can also find uh, our podcast Nerds at Church on Facebook and Twitter where and wherever you catch your podcasts, as well as Horror Nerds at Church, where we're tackling vampires and the Twilight movies, for better and for worse. I like Twilight more than I should admit on this public podcast. I, Twilight is super problematic. It is. And I have my own problematic faves. So you're not alone, but our first, our first episode of the vampire season was Dracula. Our second episode is the first Twilight movie, and... I believe it will have come out by the time this podcast comes out. So you can check it out. And we have TJ Tranchel as our guest. And he grew up in the LDS church. And so we really dig deep into how LDS theology is present in the books because Stephanie Myers is LDS. So it's it's fascinating. And we've got another guest who is who grew up and loves Twilight, right? We tear it apart because that's what we do with the things that are problematic. And yes. I think that you can love it and get a lot out of our great conversations. So you can find Horror Nerds at Church on both Facebook and Twitter. And you can find Diacon- our Faith Collective on Facebook. And we'll share the links and all of those things. Um, and you can follow them and check out ways to be connected to us and to support those works that we are doing. And of course, my blog, querying.org, which is Q-U-E-E-R-Y-I-N-G.org. Wonderful. Thank you. I look forward to listening to the Twilight podcast, among others. (laughs) And thank you again for your time with us today. No problem.
Her Between and Beyond. Holy God, you are more than we imagine or understand. Your people reflect your beauty, and we join you in your creating. All gender identities, woman, man, agender, non-binary, genderqueer, genderfluid, and all others that are between and beyond these, are holy in your sight. We are all made in your image. Embrace all those who are coming to understand their gender identity. Assure them of your constant presence and grace. Especially protect trans youth, black trans women, and trans women of color who are at particular risk in today's world. Open our hearts to listen well to one another so that mutual support can bloom and that bonds of love and respect can grow between and beyond us. Remind each of us that you will always love us, whoever we have been, whoever we are, and whoever we will become. Amen. Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. If you heard yourself or someone you know in these stories today, we hope you heard God too. I recently heard from Kayla on Instagram and she gave me permission to share this direct message. She writes, I have loved so many of the APT episodes and have learned so much, but I got to listen to Holy and Whole and Whoa. Like there was so much that just rocked me. But when Sarah talked about putting holes in walls and look up, that just really hit me in the gut because of all the issues I'm having at church. And in order to actually be accessible, there is much work that needs to be done. Like my mind is a word. Thank you for sharing that with us, Kayla. I know that Sarah and I are so glad that this episode meant so much to you. Easter is coming soon and all places together will gather on Zoom to celebrate with communion. All are welcome to join. Time and date are still to be determined. We'll meet definitely sometime the week of April 17th. If you're interested in joining, just email me at allplacestogether at gmail.com. That's A-L-L-P-L-A-C-E-S T-O-G-H-T er at gmail.com to continue to see all places together grow you can give through our website scroll to the bottom where it says give to all places together and you'll be redirected to our giving platform thanks to our mission partners the virginia synod the evangelical lutheran church in america and everyone like you who has shared gifts we know that it can be hard to give financially So don't forget that we celebrate all of the ways you connect with All Places Together throughout the week and the way that you share the stories here with other people in your life. I hope that you'll consider sharing this week's episode with someone who is also learning more about gender identity, someone that can be a conversation partner with you, maybe even a pronoun practice partner. Until next time, remember that God loves you so very much wherever, whoever, and however you are.